0: Welcome to another episode of Dakota Spotlight. I really appreciate you listening and would like you to know about Spotlight Plus. It is a subscription to Dakota Spotlight that provides bonus content, early access, and ad-free listening, all while supporting my work and the show you love. You can subscribe right in the Apple Podcast app or visit dakotaspotlight.com. You're listening to Dakota Spotlight, a production of Forum Communications. My name is James Wollner. Welcome to yet another episode from this series of interviews performed over the summer of 2021 with other true crime podcast producers from around the world. There are a lot of people on this earth who've dedicated themselves to seeking justice for missing and murdered individuals. I don't know about you, but when I hear the word assassination, I think of politicians. I think of U.S. President John F. Kennedy shot down in Dealey Plaza in Dallas on November 22, 1963. I think of Sweden's Prime Minister, Olaf Palme, gunned down on the streets of Stockholm in 1986. Both Kennedy and Palme were aware that their occupations, their positions in society, put their lives at risk. Some of us, some of you have dangerous occupations as well. Jobs that could get you killed by accident or by others. Firemen, law enforcement officers, for example, put their lives on the line constantly. There is a distinct difference between getting killed by accident or in the line of duty and getting assassinated. An assassination involves premeditation. It's an act to remove someone from a position of power or great importance. It's a murder to knock someone down off their pedestal or chair or throne. Most of us don't sit on a throne or even a powerful chair, so we don't have to lie awake at night worrying that we might get assassinated because someone wants to remove us from our position. We are truck drivers and pizza chefs. We're sanitary workers, computer programmers, farmers and nurses and accountants and warehouse employees, and we are school teachers. Well, what if I told you that in some parts of the world, it's not quite that simple. In some parts of the world, even school teachers need to consider that they just might get assassinated. In this episode, we're going to meet Paul McNally, producer of the podcast Alibi. Season two of Alibi is named Laduma High, as in Laduma High School. Laduma High School is in South Africa, and a few years ago, a teacher named Priscella Machuno was gunned down right in front of her students as she was teaching her class. She wasn't the victim of a random murder. She didn't get caught in the crossfire between two rival gangs. Priscilla was assassinated. In Season 2 of Alibi, investigative reporter Paul McNally puts himself in harm's way to seek answers and to seek justice for Priscilla. This podcast, Season 2 of Alibi, is so well done. It's informative and shocking, and it will keep you on the edge of your seat. I strongly recommend that you listen to Alibi Season 2, La Duma High. Here is Paul McNally, the producer of Alibi. Paul McNally, thank you so much for joining me on Dakota Spotlight Podcast. It's a real pleasure to meet you. How are you and where are you?
1: Thanks for having me. Um, I've just moved to London, so I'm isolating in the UK at the moment, um, but uh, I've just come from Johannesburg, South Africa, where I've been the last nine years.
0: So were you born there, or where were you born?
1: No, I was actually born in the UK, um, but I I moved there when I was 10 years old and grew up in Cape Town, um, but most, pretty much all my family, apart from my dad, um, is in the UK, so...
0: Great. Well, I'm really excited to have you here. I listened to your podcast this weekend, and I was riveted. Should we take it from the top, and maybe you could just tell us a little bit about what the podcast is about, I guess?
1: Sure. Um, The podcast, broadly, is about assassinations in South Africa. So that was kind of the starting point. Um, And I wanted to sort of just tell more about that story to a population that maybe felt that they were outside of that because it's something that's very common in South Africa and and sort of sub-Saharan countries, but it's also something that the middle-class podcast listeners don't really feel can affect them. So I wanted to kind of find out a story that I could tell that would bring it home, kind of highlight the fact that this is something that can happen to anyone in any situation. So I found a story about a school teacher it was a school teacher um a sort of woman in her 50s who was mowed down with 19 bullets by two men while she was teaching her class. So it's like senior high school um she was busy teaching an extra class on a Saturday in front of a room full of students um and she was just gunned down and and it felt like that was the story I wanted to tell.
0: Paul McNally wanted us to know that this story did resonate with South Africans as well. Even though the existence of assassins in their country is well known, many South Africans were shocked by the story of the school teacher gunned down in front of her students.
1: This sort of really brought it home and it made it um i think um relatable in a way that I really wanted it to and Then from there, you can get into the mechanics of assassination and what they call the economy of violence um and then you can start to realize like this can really be used as a way to solve problems when a country gets as lawless as South Africa.
0: Hello, dear listener. This is James, host of Dakota Spotlight, inviting you to subscribe to Spotlight Plus. For as little as $5 per month, you will get the warm feeling of supporting the show and also unlock access to bonus episodes. Get the episodes early and listen ad-free. That's right, no more ads. Apple users can subscribe to Spotlight Plus Standard right in the Apple Podcasts app. If you want to dive deeper and get even more exclusive benefits, subscribe to Spotlight Plus Premium or Spotlight Plus Ultimate. Go to dakotaspotlight.com for more details. Paul was living in Johannesburg at the time, or as he calls it, Joburg. The story he was investigating, though, was near the town of Durban.
1: It's about a six-hour drive um, east from Joburg towards the coast. People are aware of Cape Town so um, as being a kind of destination by the sea. But there's another one called Durban, and that's like a much more um, extensive port. It's where a lot of trade happens. And it's also a place where a lot of South Africans go on holiday internally. So it's a place to go to the beach um, without having to deal with Cape Town's tourists of overseas.
0: Just west of the city of Durban is the area of KwaZulu-Natal, which is basically like a province, sort of comparable to a U.S. state, sort of.
1: KwaZulu-Natal is a majority um, Zulu-speaking area, Um, and people might have heard of like the Zulu king, and they might have heard of that as a tribe of people in South Africa, Um, and the majority of people in KZN are Zulu, Um, and Durban is kind of the capital of KZN.
0: Can you tell us a little bit what the landscape kind of looks like? What does it look like out there?
1: So you kind of go from a place like Durban, which is has a beautiful surrounding, is right on the coast. And you drive a little bit out and it goes very rural very quickly. So it suddenly becomes like a place where there are brick houses, but there are people that are living in pretty poor conditions and they're kind of looking for um, jobs, you know, they'll be largely unemployed, but also then it's not like a slum, what you would call it. It's not like a a township. So it's not like corrugated iron shacks that you might've seen in South Africa. It's a lot more upmarket than that, but it's still people that are like, you know, you'll see the odd chicken run around, you'll see the odd cow, um, you know, those, and those might not necessarily be owned by anyone. They're just kind of there and just kind of exist. And, um, it's, it's still, uh, you know, you still go into a small house there and they've got a TV, they've got a couch, they've got these things. So it's not, it's not like in any way, like destitute, but people are struggling. You know, it's like an area where people are like really racked by unemployment. I mean, in South Africa, some estimates put unemployment at almost 50%. Um, so it, they are people that are struggling.
0: If you listen to this podcast, Alibi, Season 2, and I hope you will listen, you will hear and follow along as Paul goes to the school La Duma High. There, he speaks with the new principal. The principal tells him that he can't talk about the killings himself, but he recommends Paul should speak with a member of something called the School Governing Body, kind of like the PTA, Parent-Teachers Association, in the United States. It's a group of parents, educators, non-teaching staff, and others Who all work together to promote the well-being of the school. But of course Paul has no idea where this person lives, so the principal sends an assistant along with Paul to guide him to this house. When Paul and his guide arrive at the home, this individual will not speak to Paul until the guide leaves them alone. This is the first indication for Paul and for us listeners that it's not quite certain who we should trust and not trust in this story. Remember, Paul McNally is in a rural area with just a microphone, attempting to bring focus to an assassination in a country where assassinations happen far too frequently and where assassins might live, well, just down the street. Here is a little snippet from the podcast Alibi, as Paul is getting led by the school assistant to the home of someone on the school governing board, or PTA.
1: We're heading to the person the principal said I should talk to. So who are we going to go see now? Um, some mother. Pardon? Someone is working for this. I'm introduced to Tandi Bandra, who serves on the school governing body. She has a large, childlike face and is wearing a bright red dress. She won't talk until the assistant has been sent away and is out of earshot. Why did you ask her to leave then? Someone that works at the school. She doesn't want to tell me why she is suspicious of the people at the school, why this is somehow linked to the assassination. Not yet, anyway.
0: If I found this nerve-wracking, I wondered, how did Paul feel? He was the one who was there with the microphone. At what point did you start to feel like, what am I getting myself into?
1: Well, it's actually it's actually interesting. Like I try and suspend that kind of sense of fear, like really... Um, as much as possible, but my girlfriend had given me certain kind of rules and certain, uh, things that she didn't want me to do. Um, and when I started to break those rules, that's when I really started to also internally freak out because she's a journalist, um, and, uh, we're broken up now, but she works for the BBC and she has like large amounts of risk assessments that go into every story she has to do. Um, but i didn't have that right i'm um, you know podcasting you're just like one person with a microphone and a recorder
0: in the podcast the next home paul goes to is that of a police officer
1: and i met his son so that was really interesting. And and that kind of became the sort of center of the story, the son and police officer who were investigating the case. And this was, and this son he'd actually witnessed the assassination. He'd been in the class. He'd actually touched the body um, to tech. And he has a, a disturbing sort of um, recollection of it was very warm. And then he came back and it was cold. Um, and, that was sort of a good entry point into the story and that you had these people that were investigating it. I, I interviewed the father, the police officer, and he was very candid and open about how he would bring home um, photographs to the son and lay them out on the kitchen table. And then they would check which ones had maybe matched one of the hitmen that the son had seen. And then there was a moment when I, we were just sort of casually chatting and we started to see this car from a lo- large distance, we saw this car um, driving around the, the area. And we could, and I, we sort of look up, and I didn't know which car it was. I didn't know the significance of it, but he points it out and he says, Oh, that woman is following you. And as we looked, we saw that the car was visiting all the places that I had visited that day. And, um, it turned out that that was one of the teachers that's at the school. While in Sears driveway, we are up on a hill and have a good vantage point to watch the red Toyota Avanza snake around the location, methodically visiting where I have been that day. At this point, I should mention we are changing the names of the three teachers that Sia and his father suspect of ordering the hit.
0: That's right. Other teachers at the school come under suspicion. And why would other teachers want to assassinate a colleague? Well, I can tell you it was not due to some kind of lover's spat or love triangle. Not over drugs, not as retaliation for some previous dispute. The theory was or one of the first theories you heard was that this teacher was killed because a different another teacher might have wanted her job, right?
1: Yeah. It's it's shocking and it's also just that thing where, you know, beyond the extreme violence of it, you've also got to appreciate that if you're accusing another teacher, that's teacher that's someone that's teaching children that's part of this community um and it came up again and again that there were certain teachers that had conspired to hire these hitmen and to have her removed. Um, And I actually got to speak to one of the teachers who was so heavily accused in the podcast, and that was a really exciting moment. And that actually, if you're asking for places when I was scared, even though it's this... (laughs) <laughs> quite small seemingly defenseless um middle-aged woman yeah um the fact that i had to interview her in my car and she came into my car and then we chatted and i had to ask her the question like did you order this hit on your colleague like are you doing this and that I don't know, there was, there's one thing, it's okay to be in places where there might be assassins as long as they don't have a beef with you. But like what I was doing to this woman who was sitting next to me was completely exposing myself. And if she was someone that is capable of ordering a hitman, I'm basically saying, I know you're involved and I'm asking if you're involved and maybe you could do the same thing to me that you did to this teacher.
0: We'll be right back after the break with Paul McNally. He is the producer and host of the podcast Alibi. We're talking about season two called La Duma High. We are back with Paul McNally. He's the producer and host of podcast Alibi. We're talking about season two La Duma High, where Paul has investigated the assassination of a high school teacher and principal in South Africa there's another riveting part of the podcast where you want to speak with a gentleman and he recommends that you meet him at the airport. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. He was concerned about your safety, correct?
1: Yeah. I mean, it got to this point where, um, and you'll appreciate this, you're kind of, you start interviewing people, and initially, some people are very um, happy that you're investigating this case, right? Because they feel like this, there was like a year from when I started investigating it, there had been a year. Um, passed since the assassination so people felt that they had been passed over by the police you know they'd been passed over by everyone and here's this guy he's coming and he's really asking questions and they're like this is how we're going to tell this story this is great but then subsequently when you start doing that and you start sort of shaking those trees and you start asking people and you're just like roaming around a new city and a new area with a microphone um, those same people that were very happy for you to get involved suddenly realize what what this means, and what the repercussions of someone digging through everything that's happened in the past can mean. Um, and um, Reverend Giddy, he was a, the guy who initially got me onto this podcast. He phoned me up about halfway through the podcast investigation and was like, "You need to stop doing this. You you know you need to stop. What you need to really think about your safety, and you need to start thinking about the safety of other people." we were taking a lot of precautions already um, and we really tightened up the security and we tightened up everything going forward after that. But it was a fascinating lesson for me in that people are, um, they don't necessarily know what's going to be the repercussions of investigative journalism. They kind of feel that this is a pathway to catch someone or to expose some someone and create awareness. And that's true. But it also means that you're trying to be impartial at all all stages and you're kind of digging through in all directions and that's something that starts to really shake things up and really sometimes rile people up in the wrong way
0: so how many times did you travel there at least twice or
1: yeah i think about 3 or 4 times i think
0: how did it feel getting on the plane each time you left flying back to johannesburg did you feel relieved a little bit or
1: well, I mean, Johannesburg is not the safest place in the world, right? You're not kind of like you're not going <laughs> okay. back to this um, sanctuary. Um, so, but there is a kind of, even though it's a six hour drive and I mean, in South African terms, especially American terms, like that is not a long distance. Um, but there is a feeling that you're kind of going to a different place where you are safe, where you are safer. And I think, you tell yourself that because you're back in your own home and because you're in a different city, they can't get me here. But of course, like most assassins um, that conduct hits in um, Johannesburg are from KZN. So it's not like these people can't travel. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there was huge relief every time I would go back and it kind of felt like as long as I stay here, then no one can get me. And it's interesting, like lots of people gave me that advice. They were like, just stay in Johannesburg for a while until things cool down. And you're like, there's no, I mean, they know what I look like. They know they can Google my name. They, this is not, these are just, this is just like magical thinking to kind of make yourself feel safer, basically.
0: The podcast season is six episodes. It's called Alibi. Where can people listen?
1: Well, they can go wherever they get their podcasts, but they can also go to our website, which is www.volume.africa. And there's a whole host of other materials and photos and all sorts of other interesting things there. So that's like, and you can also listen off the site. So obviously Apple, Spotify, Google podcasts, but also on our website.
0: Awesome. And I'm going to put a link in the show notes. i highly recommend that you listen to Alibi. Uh, you want to tell us what season one was about in a nutshell?
1: Well, season one was um, a blatant ripoff of Serial, basically. Um, I was uh, intrigued by Serial like everyone else and sure. wanted to get into podcasting. And I was also working for a nonprofit that dealt with wrongful convictions um, at the time as a complete coincidence. And my boss basically listened to Serial and kind of Kind of quite angrily wanted to know why we hadn't done something like this as well. Um, so that was really what it was about. It was about a man who had been in jail for seventeen years. Um, he was still claiming his innocence, um, but there was an interesting sort of wrinkle to it in the fact that he had gone to jail a few weeks before South Africa's democratic um, election. So he was a he was a guy. It was a a black guy, and he'd gone. To jail basically been stitched up by these apartheid white police officers um, and then had spent the whole of South Africa's democracy in jail um, and so digging through the documents was this like incredible sense of achievement but also work in kind of because they're all from the past and because they're all from basically a different time of government and a different way of doing things you're sort of digging through what it was like to be um, someone of color in an apartheid regime. So that was also an exciting part of it.
0: What's next for you as far as the podcast goes? Uh,
1: Yeah, well, we're doing this other podcast called Too Many Enemies, um, which was also about an assassination. And I think we're going to do a second season of that. So that's something that was about an assassination that was much more high profile and it was linked eventually we found links to um high-ranking politicians had o- maybe ordered the hit in south africa so we're going to look at another season of of too many enemies at this point
0: point. and you've won some awards haven't you
1: yeah i won a cnn award and we're up actually the second season of alibi is at this moment um been nominated for a south african radio award in the podcast category so they're going to announce that at the end of the month so we're sort of holding thumbs
0: well, good luck. You don't need luck on that. I think it's just a fabulous season. Is there anything about this story that I didn't ask you that you were hoping I would ask or anything else you'd like to say?
1: Um, I think I'd like to say that it is true crime in that sort of traditional sense. And it is a violent country, South Africa. But I'm also kind of hoping that people who listen to it who aren't from South Africa will kind of take a little bit of the humanity away that people have you know there are people there are characters in this who are trying to help and they're trying to do the best they can um you know there's police officers it goes through many police officers this case and by the end of it you feel quite disillusioned by the police i think in south africa but you know there's the odd spark of of a investigative officer that i speak to that kind of feels like he cares and I know it sounds cliche, but I I don't want to be adding to the kind of narrative that South Africa is kind of a lost cause. You know, it's sort of like the sense where it has got these problems, but also that they can be hopefully overcome.
0: I asked Paul McNally if he had any thoughts on the true crime genre of podcasting.
1: I think basically you've got to be thinking of the genre is imposed on you and you shouldn't be trying to contrive a true crime story from the outset, you know? Like I'm originally trained as a journalist and sort of look at things in that in that way. And I think, you know, the true crime stamp is a little bit um, demeaning, I think, in the way that it's sort of banded about, even though a lot of sophisticated journalists have done true crime stories. Um, so I think... You've got to keep your journalistic ethics at the front of what everything that you do. You know, you've got to ask for right of reply. You've got to make sure people are aware that they're being recorded. You've got to make sure that if people want to be anonymous, that you do a good job at making them anonymous. And I think, you know, from some of the podcasts that I've listened to, because perhaps some podcasters aren't journalists and they're kind of stepping very much into an investigative journalist role, that they kind of let go of some of these things or just it just doesn't occur to them and that's you know and you can't when a when a medium is is just skyrocketing i don't think you can really blame people for trying their best and they're kind of imitating what they're hearing but they might not be aware of what's going on in the background because i think podcasting in itself hides a lot of the work you know you can work really hard on something and then you you almost deliberately gloss over that work and make it seem like a tense um easy to listen to narrative Um, And I think some people that are just imitating that, um, who don't have that journalism ethics in place, they're not aware of the work that's happening in the background.
0: Again, the podcast is called Alibi. We've been talking about season two, Laduma High, about the assassination of a high school teacher, speaking with Paul McNally. His website is alibi. Paul, it's been a real pleasure talking to you today. I, I really hope my listeners listen to your podcast, Alibi. It's just riveting and you've done a great job and it's been my pleasure to speak with you.
1: Thank you. It's been a great pleasure to be here. Thank you very much.
0: Check out the podcast, Alibi, available anywhere you get your podcasts or see the link in the show notes. Dakota Spotlight is a production of Forum Communications, written, edited, and of course, hosted by me, James Wollner. That's all for this week. See you next time on Dakota Spotlight.